Good morning. First Kings chapter two. So we're going to take a look at uh, this morning. So if you want to be turning there, and uh, Daniel, sorry about the headache. I know those can be miserable, but you once again did an excellent job with the songs. We appreciate that. And appreciate your effort to be here with us. And to go along with what Brian said, uh, we do thank all the teachers and appreciate uh, the work they put in. That that's a lot that goes into teaching those uh, kids' classes and so forth. And Colby, excellent job this morning. And aren't you preaching next Sunday? And that and that what I that's what <laughs> <laughs> I think he's uh, warming up to leave coaching and is going to go into full time work. You know, <laughs> so ex- excellent job with that this morning and. Uh, we will be out of town, but we will expect you to record that so we'll get a listen to it when we uh, or when I get back. So, uh, All that are visiting with us this morning, we have some visitors. We're glad that you are here. And so we're going to take a look at 1 Kings, the second chapter. And uh, there's a transition that is going on there in 1 Kings chapter 2. And God has promised that David's son will succeed him on the throne. And Solomon is going to be charged or with responsible for then securing that kingdom. And so, uh, three points we're going to take a look at the charge and the promise initially, the kingdom established, and then contend for the kingdom. Now, I know as we take a look at 1 Kings chapter 2 this morning, if you've not been here with us on Wednesday evening, this may be a little more challenging for you to grasp as to what's going on here. I'm not making an apology, I'm making a plug for Wednesday night's class. So, <laughs> If you, if you haven't been here, come and join us. It's a, it's a good study. Uh, a lot of valuable information that is contained in that Old Testament. It helps us to understand God's plan as it unfolds. So, keeping that in mind. So, in 1 Kings chapter 2, you're seeing what we're witnessing is this transition. It's from King David, and now it's going to go to his son Solomon. And David is going to charge him with certain things to do and give him some advice as he becomes the next king over the nation of Israel. So I'm just going to pull up this first point here, the charge of the promise. First Kings chapter two and verse one. It said, now the days of David drew near that he should die and he charged Solomon, his son, saying he's charging his son. He's given him some instructions. Son, you're the next king. This is a big responsibility. And hold that thought for just a second. There was an elderly man, grandfather. He was reaching towards the end of his life. And he had a grandson that loved him, admired him very much. And he said to his father one day, he said, before grandfather passes from this life, I want to sit down and I want to interview him. And I want to ask him if he have any, any words of wisdom that he wants to pass on to us and to the future generations and so forth of our family. So he went to the grandfather, he planned on recording this, and he, and he asked him. He said, do you have any advice, any words that you want to kind of leave with us and pass on to us? And without hesitation, the grandfather reached over on a little table that was sitting next to his chair, picked up his Bible. He turned to Matthew, the 28th chapter. And he turned to verse 20. And this is what he said. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching them all things that I have commanded you. 
And lo, I'm with you always. There's a charge. (laughs) And there's a promise. And then the grandfather looked at the grandson. And he said, remember this. He said, God always keeps his promises. And so that's what he wanted to pass on uh, to the next generation. So in 1 Kings chapter 2, in verse 2, David says, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Be strong, prove yourself a man. Now, as we look at the next verses, we'll come to understand what he is saying when he says, prove yourself to be a man. So as you take a look at 1 Kings chapter 2, and you read these first verses here, There's a sort of seriousness. There's sort of a somber tone. David's life is ending. And his son is going to take over the throne. But what I find so interesting about 1 Kings chapter 2 is very simply this. We look at those words and we go, "Mm -hmm, yeah, right, I understand. (laughs) Be strong. Prove yourself a man. But as we continue to read this morning down through this, and we read the first nine verses, but we're going to kind of take a look at this chapter in its entirety. What you're going to find is is that the instruction that David gives to Solomon becomes kind of perplexing. (laughs) So we look at the first part and we go, okay, okay. Be strong. Got it. (laughs) Prove yourself a man. Got it. But then what he says next is like, Wait a minute. (laughs) Some of it is shocking. Some of it seems cold-hearted. Some of it seems ruthless. And we look at that and we go, wow. But let me remind you of this. When you read those words, you know what you're reading? You're reading the Bible. And for a lot of people, that's a shock. You mean that's in there? Because you know what has happened down through the ages and especially within our society? It's kind of like the word has been kind of watered down, hasn't it? You got to make it kind of politically correct. And you can't make it too harsh. And you know there's a kid's series entitled Veggie Tales. And it's almost like we've come to the point where we want the adult version of Veggie Tales. And it's Happy Noah, and it's Happy Moses, and Happy Jesus, and it's all just happy. <laughs> well, there are happy, but there's also some that's very serious. You know, if you take a look in the book of Judges, about the 8th chapter and verse 7, There's a shocking statement that is there by Gideon. Remember Gideon from the Old Testament? And you know what Gideon says? He says to his enemies, I will take thorn briars and I will rip the flesh off of you. Ooh, a little harsh, isn't it? (laughs) Why didn't that ever make veggie tales? (laughs) Did you see that episode? (laughs) I didn't see that one. And so when you come to 1 Kings chapter 2, it's a little harsh. 
But we got to understand what's going on here and why this is recorded. And what you actually see when you take a look at 1 Kings chapter 2, this is the kingdom. God's kingdom. And it's being passed from one king, one generation to the next. And now you take responsibility for it. But you know what else is recorded here? It's man's handling of it. And that's what is so amazing at times. Make no mistake about it. This is God's kingdom. And God had put David on the throne. And now he has put Solomon on the throne. But this is God's kingdom. But now it's in the hands of men. And you know what happens when you take something that powerful, that spiritual, and you put it in the hands of men? Sometimes we're real clumsy with it. We don't always handle it just right. But that's what you see in 1 Kings chapter 2. The kingdom is being passed from one generation to the next. And David, the previous king, is handing it over to his son Solomon. And he's giving him a charge. And he's going to give him some advice. And so that's what is stating in 1 Kings chapter 2. The days grew near that David should die. That's that transition from one king to the next. From one generation to the next. And what you see in chapter 2 and verses 2 through 10, we won't read all this. I'm just going to have to kind of allude to it and you'll have to read it later. You're going to see David's advice. And then in 13 through 46, you're going to see Solomon trying to carry it out. But in about verses 10 through 12, there's kind of a pause that we're going to take a look at in just a moment also. So it's advice, it's a pause, and then it's Solomon trying to carry out those instructions. In this advice, that David's going to give to Solomon. He's going to tell him about four people. That he needs to deal with. There's Adonijah. There's Abiathar. There's Joab. And there's Shimei. And each one of those individuals. Represents a threat to the kingdom. And David is telling Solomon, you got to deal with these folks. You got to deal with the threats to the kingdom, Solomon. It's being passed on to you. You're going to have to contend for it. We'll get to that point in a minute. And what he's telling you is you're going to have to secure it. Here's the kingdom. You're the king. Take responsibility. It's God's providence and it's man's responsibility. So let me give you another little illustration. You think about a kingdom. You think about a domain. A number of years ago, back when our son was small, my wife and I and our son, we headed off on a little summer trip out to Colorado. Road trip, right? Colorado, it's a beautiful state. And we stopped at one point at this like really nice rest stop and so forth. And so my wife is going to go into this like restroom. Now, for sake of illustration, okay? Just for sake of illustration. 
The women's restroom, that's kind of like their little domain, isn't it? <laughs> this is like their little kingdom. Right? Don't mess with it. So there's ladies coming and going, and my wife starts to walk in there, and all of a sudden, there's some big, ugly, crawly thing going across the floor there. And women are like, ah. <laughs> And so my wife springs into action. You know what she does? <laughs> she stomps that bug. <laughs> She's assuming everybody's going to be happy. High five, girl. <laughs> you negated the threat to the kingdom. You neutralized that creature, right? Oh, no. There's a couple of ladies that are standing there, and they are aghast at what she just did. You stomped that bug. Do you know that bug is a part of nature? Well, now he's a part of the concrete. <laughs> They're appalled at the way she handled the threat to the king. You follow? So, Solomon is going to have to deal with threats to the king. Now this week, I spent a lot of time reading various commentaries. And there are some men that are on the side of Solomon and they sing his praises. Way to go, Solomon. <laughs> and there are others like, Solomon, <laughs> you didn't handle that right. After reading all these, I kind of sat and pondered for a little bit and I thought, whoa. You know, if I could talk to these guys. <laughs> it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, guys. It's not really about Solomon. What's 1 Kings chapter 2 about? 1 Kings chapter 2 is about securing the kingdom. And yes, I agree that sometimes men's methods are a little messy. And we can sometimes look at them and we can kind of scratch our head and wonder. But don't miss the point. 1 Kings chapter 2 is about securing, contending for the kingdom. It has been passed from one generation, from one king to the next. And now, Solomon, you're responsible. And there's certain threats to the kingdom. And you've got to deal with it. The kingdom has been established. It does not take long to understand what the theme of 1 Kings chapter 2 is. Because four times, no less, he talks about the establishment of the kingdom. Let me read to you from 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Early on in this chapter, what it's saying is, is that God has put Solomon on the throne. He'll repeat that theme in verse 24 and in verse 45. But then notice what he says in verse 46. So the king commanded Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, 
And he went out and struck him down and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Can you see that? Chapter 2 and verse 12. God put him on the throne. Chapter 2 and verse 46. Now it's established in the hand of Solomon. What you see in between is Solomon carrying out the advice that his father had given him. It's in his hand. Solomon has taken responsibility. As you take a look at chapter 2, and the writer emphasizes the establishing of David's kingdom, you have to keep in mind backing up to 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you haven't read 2 Samuel 7 in a while, you need to read it. And if you haven't studied 2 Samuel 7 in a while, you need to study it. Because one of the most important passages in all of Scripture is contained in 2 Samuel the 7th chapter, and that's where God promises David that he will establish his throne and one of his descendants will sit on that throne of Israel Forever. And what you see here in 1 Kings chapter 2 is just the beginning of that fulfillment. Here's David, and here's the first transition from David to Solomon. And God has promised David through your lineage, there's going to come one that is going to sit on that throne of Israel and reign forever. And we know who that is. It's suggested that First and Second Kings is actually written much later. By the time you get to the end of Second Kings, what you're going to see is God's people are actually in exile. And the last king of Israel is now being held captive in Babylon, but yet there's hope there because that king is sitting at the king of Babylon's table. And so you're wondering what God is going to do. And so these books were written to those in exile. It's not just historical. It's theological. And what the writer is doing is saying, no matter how bad things may look sometimes, don't you ever forget that God is in control. And just like the grandfather said to his grandson, God always keeps his promises. So he'll fulfill it. It may look bad at the moment, but he'll fulfill it. And so first there's this charge. And there's a promise. And the kingdom is established under Solomon. It's in his hand. Chapter 2 and verse 2, once again. I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And so this charge is directed to Solomon initially. But this charge is widespread. It's all-encompassing. It doesn't matter whether David is talking to Solomon or he's talking to the Jews in exile. 
or he's talking to 21st century Christians. Listen to verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimony, as it is written, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. <coughs> what did David just say to Solomon? Keep the law. Statutes, commandments, judgments, testimonies, which is written in the law of Moses. There's two, there's two things that are being said there. He breaks it down. Commandments and judgments and testimonies and his ways and all that kind of What he's saying is every aspect of that law, you keep it. And then he says it's written in the law of Moses. You know what that means? It's accessible. <laughs> Solomon, you keep it. And it's right there. <laughs> you can read it. <laughs> so it's not like God's hiding it from you. You can read it. It's right there. It's accessible. And you walk in that. All of it. But you see, see what happens sometimes is is the law gets a bad rap. Doesn't it? You ever ask anybody, do you know the Ten Commandments? <laughs> and they go, oh, Ten Commandments. <laughs> That's a whole lot of do's and don'ts, isn't it? <laughs> and so we think, you know, that's just a hindrance to my happiness. <laughs> kind of gets in the way. And, and so it kind of gets a bad rap. And yet within God's Word, Deuteronomy 4 and verse 6, he says, and this shall be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people. This is your wisdom. This is your understanding. Other people will look at you and they'll see that. Deuteronomy 12. He says, do these things because it's good for you and it will go well for your children. So his word says, it's not a hindrance. It's to help you. And it's to help you prosper in life. To help you function. And we understand. Right? Because in our society, we understand laws are good. Cars going up and down the road. And the light changes. Somebody stops. Somebody goes. If you don't have the light, you know what happens? <laughs> it's good. Traffic laws, civil laws, laws within business, in organizations, even in sports. That's what enables us to function and to work together. And what he's suggesting is this is the way in which you will prosper. The law is a good thing for you. So that's the first part of his advice. Listen to verse 4. That the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So there's that promise. What's David saying? Keep that. All your heart and all your soul. And God will do His part. He'll put a descendant on that throne of Israel. 
Because God's faithful to His promises. And you know, we think about that, right? God promised a Savior. Did He bring one? Yeah, He did. God has promised to forgive us of our sins. Does He do that? Yeah, He does. God has promised a kingdom. Did He bring it? Yeah, He did. God has promised heaven. And we wait for it, right? Because He's faithful to His promises. So that's the first two parts of David's advice to Solomon. Obey the law. Remember the promise. That's general. Now we're going to get down to the nitty gritty. We're going to get down to the specifics. And he's going to talk about certain people. And he's going to talk about certain threats. And so to kind of summarize this next section, we might say, David or Solomon, I want you to contend for the king. It's now in your hand. Now you've got to fight for it. So verse 5 and 6. Moreover, you know also what Joab the son of Zariah did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom. Therefore, do according to your wisdom. And do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Sound a little ominous? Does it not? And so David's telling Solomon, you got to deal with him. And in essence, what he's saying is, Solomon, Joab can't be trusted. He's a threat to the kingdom. Because you can't trust him. So you need to deal with him. And David says, use your wisdom to deal with him. Verse 7, he will tell him about dealing kindly with someone. But watch verse 8 and 9. And you see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite of Barim, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Maonaim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. Deal with it, Solomon. Shimei, when I was fleeing from your brother, Absalom, David was God's anointed. Absalom was trying to steal the throne from him. David had to flee Jerusalem, and Shimei come out and cursed him. <laughs> Blaspheme the king. So now, David saying, Solomon, Bring him down to his grave with blood. Deal with him. And so he talks about Joab. 
And he talks about Shimei. And we'll go on in just a minute. Now, as David gives this instruction to Solomon, and you see him talk about Joab, and you see him talk about Shimei, what do you think would be the very next thing that the writer would record for us? Well, there goes Solomon, and he's dealing with these people, right? (laughs) Doesn't that seem like the logical thing? But that's not what you see. Watch what happens in verse 10. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his kingdom was firmly established. You know what this is like? It's like watching a movie. And you get to this point and somebody says, hit the pause button. <laughs> Let, let's think about this a little bit. What just happened here? And what's going on? Well, there's this transition that's going on. And now he pauses and he talks about David. It's almost like an epitaph. It's like, pause for a minute, Solomon. And think about the legacy of your father David. Let's ponder that for just a moment. Here's a life that has come to an end. And he formerly sat on the throne of Israel. And now you sat on that throne. Reflect back a minute on the legacy of your father. Seems to be what the writer's doing. And as you think about the legacy of David, we studied this, right? (laughs) It's no veggie tale, is it? No, it's not. There's some really good things about David. There's some really ugly things. And David was God's chosen. It stated he was a man after God's own heart. And in many ways, Israel looked on him as the ideal monarch, a model of leadership, the standard by which every other king is going to be compared. David's influence is immense. There's no no doubt that. Israel benefited greatly from David's leadership as king. They were spared for generations because of David and the promise that God had made to David. But David was a long ways, a long ways from being perfect. And so what the writer is saying is, stop, stop and think about that. And we need to stop and think about it a moment. And we think, out of all the things that David did, some of them ugly. How does God then elevate him to that status? That he would be a a model. David was a liar. Adulterer. Murderer. He was a hapless father. 
So how's he an example and a standard for others? And that's a great question. And we need to stop. We need to think about it. We need to ponder it. I think that's what the writer's doing here for Solomon. And I think it goes like this. David, with all of his flaws, he was a model. Not because he was perfect, but rather he was a model of getting it right when he got it wrong. I think that's why the writer would want Solomon to look to David. I think what the writer's wanting Solomon to do is, Solomon, can you do that? Hmm? When you get it wrong, can you be right, Solomon? Because when David, when he had his sins pointed out, he turned. And his repentance was genuine. And have you always, or not always, but a clear majority of the time. Have you noticed when people are in leadership positions and it's pointed out that they're wrong? What's the reaction to that? No, I'm not. It's hard to turn. And I think that's why the writer pauses right here before he goes any further with his instruction and what Solomon's going to do. Solomon, you're not perfect. God has taken His kingdom and He's put it in the hands of men. Fallible men. And we're clumsy with it. We make mistakes. But can you be right when you're wrong? That's the question. Can you turn? So thirdly, now he's going to follow up as Solomon then contends for the kingdom. And he's going to deal with these individuals. Adonijah, Joab, Abiathar, Simeon. And first off, in about verses 13 through 18, he's going to deal with Adonijah. Adonijah is Solomon's older brother. Many would have thought he would have been next. But God had not planned it that way. And actually, he was Solomon's half-brother. And Adonijah wasn't pleased that he had been overlooked to be next on the throne. And so after Solomon has been established, that's what we read in chapter 2 and verse 12, Adonijah comes up with his own little ploy. Adonijah then goes to the mother of Solomon, which is Bathsheba. And he essentially says, I know that your son Solomon won't refuse you, but I want to ask you to do something for me. And so Bathsheba says, ask. He says, I want you to go and I want you to ask Solomon if I can have Abishag, which was David's concubine, to be my wife. Well, we studied that, didn't we? That's what happened with Absalom when he was trying to usurp the throne. 
He took David's concubines, and so therefore whoever has the concubines, whoever has the wives, they must have the throne. And so you can see what Adonijah is doing. He goes to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. He won't refuse you. So go ask him if I could have her. And for some strange reason, Bathsheba goes along with it. Okay. And she goes to Solomon and she almost repeats his request verbatim. And then you move down to verse 22 and you get Solomon's response. (laughs) To paraphrase, are you crazy? (laughs) He goes, he knows exactly what he's doing. He has Abiathar on his side. That's the former priest. He has Joab on his side. That's the former commander of my father David's army. And now you ask if he can have David's concubine for wife? Nobody would miss the symbolism. It's a ploy. It's a play for the throne. So what's Solomon do? He eliminates that threat to the king. Adonijah wants to usurp the throne. God had established Solomon. Opposition to the king that God has placed on the throne is opposition to God Himself. And opposition against God leads you know where? That's the point. That leads to death. So that's Adonijah. And then he moves on to Abiathar. Abiathar had been priest. He'd served under David. He'd been loyal to David. He had sacrificed with David. But now... Of all the people that should have known what God's will for the next one to sit on the throne, Abiathar then sides with Adonijah. So what does Solomon do? He handles this one a little bit differently. And he tells him, you're no longer priest. Go back to your own land. When you're in opposition to the king, you're in opposition to God. And when you're in opposition to the king and when you're in opposition to God, you know where you're dwelling? You're dwelling in your own land. You're separated from the king. So then he moves on to Joab. Former leader of David's army. But we studied this too, didn't we? Joab wasn't always loyal to David, was he? And sometimes Joab just kind of acted on his own. And David has given Solomon instruction, son, you got, you got to deal with him. You can't trust him. And so when Joab hears how Solomon has dealt 
with Adonijah and with Abiathar. You know what Joab does? He makes tracks for the tabernacle. <laughs> and he runs in there and he grabs a hold of the horns of the altar. Now there was provision within the law for those who were innocent that they might be protected. But we've already read that in the time of peace, Joab killed two men. And we're told he brought that blood upon himself and upon his robe and upon his waist and upon his sandals. And so, Solomon dispatches the leader of his army, Benaniah. And he says, go deal with him. And Benaniah goes. And he finds him at the tabernacle and he's holding on to the horns of the altar. And he says, come here. Come out. And Joab says, huh? I'm standing here. So Benaniah, being faithful to the king, he goes back and he checks the terms of engagement. And he tells him. And you know what Solomon says? He'll die right there. He'll die right there. That's what he wants. So justice is done. It might be justice delayed and sometimes we think that's kind of sloppy and it is. Because Ecclesiastes tells us that when men are not swiftly brought to justice, they are given to do evil. But justice came. And he was dealt with. And then the last one is Shimei. Solomon had told Shimei because Shimei had come out against David when he was fleeing from Absalom and he cursed the king, blasphemed against the king. Could have been put to death right then, but David spared him. But David also warned Solomon, you've got to deal with him. And so what Solomon does is he tells Shimei, he said, this is a classic case of keep your enemies close or keep your friends close, but got that backwards. Keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. And so he tells Shimei, you build yourself a house right here in Jerusalem. And don't you ever, don't you ever leave Jerusalem. And Shimei, he's like, yeah, oh, that's good. We've kind of seen this before with him. It's like whatever it takes to be spared. You know, he cursed David, and then he came back and told David what a great guy he was. And so now Solomon says, no, you, you build your house and you stay right here. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's good. And he did for three years. And then his slaves ran off, and he heard they were in Gath. And so what's he do? He saddles up, and he heads off to go get them. Well, you know, the king's got spies. And they tell him, Shimei left. He came back. So Solomon says, call for him. And he reminds him of the agreement that they had. And he puts him to death. 
And then it says in verse 46 that the kingdom was firmly established in the hands of Solomon. That's the point. He dealt with threats to the king. You take a look at these four individuals. Adonijah, he tries to usurp the throne. Why? For himself. Joab had not been faithful to David. He shed innocent blood. Remember? Why did he do that? For self. Abiathar? He had gone against the Lord's anointed. He was a priest. And instead of pointing to the Lord, he served self. Shimei? He served the king for three years until he didn't. So he did until he didn't. Isn't that what happens sometimes? You mean I'm going to have to sacrifice something in order to remain faithful to the king? And he serves self. So what chapter 2 is all about is you have to eliminate threats to the kingdom. I want you to notice verse 33. It says, Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. What's that say? You want peace in the kingdom? Squash it. And peace is restored. All of a sudden, the ladies' restroom is in peace. (laughs) Except for a couple. (laughs) They didn't like the way it was handled. But that's what he's saying. Solomon, you're the king now. Now, you got to deal with the threats. And that's perfectly in line with the very last Davidic king. And we know who that is, right? That's Jesus. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. The writer's talking about when Jesus returns. He said, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, 
when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. What did he say? Ultimately, the last in line to David's throne, Jesus Christ, when he comes back, he's going to eliminate every threat and everything that causes tribulation within the kingdom. What's he saying? That's a promise. That's a promise. That's First Kings chapter two. Contend for the kingdom. If you're here this morning, you've never rendered obedience unto the King Jesus Christ. We'd encourage you to do that. We'd help you in any way and make your relationship right with Him. We would want to do that this very day. While together we stand, while we sing.